Imagine knowing exactly what your students are learning and exactly which steps you need to take next. Join us in Down With The Reading Quiz to craft meaningful and productive formative assessments that move away from gotcha moments of basic recall and toward assessing what your students actually can do. In this 30-minute free masterclass, we'll share three powerful assessment keys that work for any novel at any time of the year. Head to shop.bravenewteaching.com slash masterclass to sign up, and we'll also send you a free workbook to keep track of all your notes. Once again, that's shop.bravenewteaching.com slash masterclass to nail formative assessments forever. Well, hello, and welcome back to Brave New Teaching. It's Amanda here, and I am back with our summer camp full of incredible authors and ready to share with you another interview. Yes, teacher friends, we have another author, another book, something else to put in front of you and encourage you to think about widening the scope of your curriculum for next year. And I had the very special, special honor of interviewing Shamile Syed Mendes. And I am telling you right now that talking to her was like talking to an old friend. And I had the most delightful chat with her about her writing process, her history, the things that she's done as a as a mom, even. Um, and of course, we had some in-depth and wonderful chit-chat about her young adult award-winning novel, Furia. I want to begin this episode by making sure that you've got a little bit of Shamile's backstory because knowing about her is really important because once you know about her, you're going to know more about why Furia is so powerful as a novel. And kind of as we've been doing this camp um, summer series of our book talks, um, if this is the first one you've listened to, the way Marie and I have structured this is we offer an interview first. So the interview is either one or two parts, depending on how long the interview went. And then after that, the next episode will be an episode where Marie and I debrief the episode and break down the different ways that you could use the text that we talked about in the classroom. So in this interview, Shamili and I talk a lot about her book, but in the episode coming next, you'll hear Marie and I talk about direct tangible ways of using it in the classroom. So let me tell you more about um, Shamile. She is the author of so many books for young readers and adults, Furia being the one that we're going to focus on today because it is her YA book. But she has got lots of other books in the middle grade world, in the adult world. This book, Furia, is a Reese Witherspoon's YA book club selection. It is the 2021 inaugural Pura Belprix Young Adult Gold Medalist award-winning book. Um, she has won so many accolades, things like the Junior Library Guild Gold Standard, the Whitney Award, the Civilis Award, the Americas Award, the Bank Street Spanish Language Books Award. I mean, she has been racking them up. Unlike the author we just interviewed, we just interviewed Ruta Sepetis. She is born and raised in the United States. She explores a lot of her European ancestry. Shamile was born and raised in Rosario, Argentina. But she did, once she kind of left her life there, she spent a lot of her life in Utah. So she has a totally different perspective than what we've been looking at so far. And Shamile has her her MFA from Vermont College and talks at length about her writing career and how that kind of evolved in her later years, not as something she did right out of school. And I just absolutely loved talking to her as, and you'll hear me geek out. (laughs) I mean, no one's surprised about that at this point, about my time living in Argentina and what it was so special to kind of listen to someone who was born there and knows the country and longs for the country. And as someone who only spent, I mean, I spent maybe six, seven months there. Um, I still feel very kindred spirit with Argentinian people. And it was a very formative time of my life that I was there. So this is a really close to my heart, special conversation. 
And I hope that you all enjoy this chat with Shamile. It is just something that we at the Brand New Teaching Podcast are so grateful to be able to do. We're able to do this because of you, our listeners. You guys show up, you leave reviews, you ask for this stuff. And if it wasn't for you, I don't think authors and publishers would bother coming to talk to us. So thank you for leaving your reviews. They go such a long way in, you know, it's a currency for us to be able to go out to publishers and say, hey, these are our listeners. This is what they think of the podcast. They would love to hear from your authors. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for continuing to do that and support the show. I hope that this interview makes you feel warm and fuzzy inside, but most of all, inspired to not only read some new books, but really think about how we can widen the lens of the canon, widen the experience that our students have in their curriculums, and just include more voices to that conversation. Without further ado, let's cue the music. You're listening to Brave New Teaching, and we are so much more than a podcast. We give teachers the inspiration, support, and tools to challenge the status quo. I'm Amanda, and I'm a former English teacher from Illinois. And I'm Marie, and I'm a teacher from Southern California. Join us at bravenewteaching.com to find out more about our courses, festivals, and get every episode's show notes. We're so glad you're here. Enjoy the show. So happy to have you. Would you take a second and just introduce yourself to all of our listeners? Of course. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for having me in your podcast. I'm Shamile Sayed Mendez, and I am an author. I was born and raised in Rosario, Argentina, but I've lived in the U.S. most of my life. I write everything from picture book all the way to adult uh, romance. But today, uh, I'm excited to talk about Furia and my other YA books. Oh, yes. we And we would love to hear about your other books, too, because, you know, teachers, we are nerds for all things that we can read. But yes, especially YA. I can't even tell you, Shamile, I, your book had been recommended to me by so many people. So this is quite a moment. I'm really excited. Thank you. So we are going to actually start this experience. Um, I've asked Shamile to read a little bit from Furia for us, and she's going to give us a little taste of the first page. So those of you guys who do First Page Friday, this will be a usable content for a lesson plan. So if you want to give us any kind of a teaser or a little context, um, Shamile, that would be wonderful. And then you can hop right in and we're excited to hear. Excellent. Thank you. So Furia, which is Spanish for fury, is about a girl whose name is Camila Hassan. And like me, she's from Rosario, Argentina. A lot of people know Rosario because it's the cradle of some of the world's most famous soccer players or football players, like we call the sport. Leo Messi is from Rosario, Angel Di Maria, so many other players who are mostly men. All the famous footballers are men. But women have been an important part of the sport since it was brought to Argentina in the late 1800s. And so Camila wants to become a professional football player, but her family uh, doesn't support her because of different reasons. Even though her family breeds and lives and their life revolves around football. And there is a little bit of a, of a love story and... Um, although it has a lot of things in common with my own experience in life, it's not the story of my life, but I was heavily influenced by, by things that happened and things that I saw. And we can go a, a little more into that when we go to the questions. But this beautiful cover was illustrated by Rachel Baker and Furia won the Pura del Pre Award in 2021 for the best YA fiction written by a Latina living and working in the U.S. And it was also part of the Reese Witherspoon Book Club, which was a super big highlight, especially in 2020 when it came out. That was the year we all know what happened in 2020. <laughs> Go ahead and read from the first page. Flies have short legs. I learned this proverb before I could speak. I never knew exactly where it came from. 
Maybe the saint followed my family across the Atlantic, all the way to Rosario, the second largest city in Argentina at the end of the world. My Russian great-grandmother, Isabel, embroidered it on a pillow after her first love broke her heart and married her sister. My Palestinian grandfather, Ahmed, whispered it to me every time my mom found his hidden stash of wine bottles. My Andalusian grandmother, Elena, repeated it like a mantra until her memories and regrets called her to the next life. Maybe it came from Matilde, the woman who chased freedom to Las Pampas all the way from Brazil. But of her, this black woman whose blood roared in my veins, we hardly ever spoke. Her last name got lost, but my grandma's grandma still showed up so many generations later in the way my brown hair curled, the shape of my nose, and my stubbornness. Ay, Dios mío, my stubbornness. Oh, my gosh. I it's a little more than the first page because I didn't cut, when I cut the paragraph halfway through. <laughs> no, that was perfect. That is like totally. And, and I think what I love so much about sharing that piece is I think when students are pitched this book, they're like, oh, it's a soccer book for girls. And if you read the first page, it's so much more than that. And that's exactly what we're here to talk about today. I love this. And, and this is kind of a perfect place to get into our, our first couple of questions. Um, so the listeners, some of them might know that I, I have a very fond uh, memory of myself living in Argentina. And, you know, one of the things that I remember the most was my own culture shock coming from the United States to Argentina. And it was, I mean, Shamila, you're going to laugh because I was 20 years old. So I was a third year student at university and my knowledge of South America was, I mean, absolutely minuscule. Pretty much everything was Mexico, right? Like that was, that was my life experience. And I went to a relatively, you know, like a, a suburban public school. And I don't know that there was any intention of excluding major parts of the world into my life, but it, it's what happened. And by some fluke, I ended up going where I went. My parents threw me a going away party and they're like, well, let's, let's make you some Argentine food. And they made me fajitas. <laughs> I love it. And, and, and like fast forward, I have since married. Um, my husband is Mexican Guatemalan, and even he says like that's not even Mexican, Amanda. That's Tex-Mex. And I'm like, exactly, exactly. <laughs> you can't get fajitas in Mexico. <laughs> uh, no, and I get the cue, the eye rolls. And so I think what's so cool about this opening, and I'm getting to our question, is. You know, what are some of the things that, you know, in your kind of back and forth experience of going between worlds, those cultural shocks and acceptances and moving on, how has that been part of your life? And, and then of course, how has that kind of come into your writing? I love this question. And I've been thinking a lot of it since the moment you sent them to me in preparation for this conversation, because I thought at first that I didn't have a cultural shock because everything in the U.S. looked like in the movies to me. So I was 19 when I came to the U.S. to go to college. And I came to Provo, Utah, which is very different from Rosario. So other than the landscape in Rosario, it's the plains, the Pampas. And here it's, you know, we have the beautiful mountains. But uh, I came right when summer was winding down in Argentina. And here I thought it was going to be springy but it was still snowing and I had never seen snow in my life before. And I, I'm glad that you mentioned food because the hardest thing for me was the food. I didn't yeah. like anything. <laughs> the bread, I, I, the, the dairy, the ice cream. <laughs> to this day, my husband, he's from Puerto Rico. And okay. he, we joke because it's like, what's up with the Argentine ice cream that you, because I don't like ice cream here in the U.S., but, yeah. but every time we go to Argentina, it's ice cream all day, every day. All day long. Yes. So th that was something that was very shocking to me, uh, the sweet and sour combination, the spices, because uh, Argentine food is not spicy, like hot. Uh, no, there wasn't even salt and pepper on the table anywhere yes. I went. Ever. You didn't add salt and pepper. No. <laughs> I was so shocked. So, you know, your palate adjusts. And now, yes, I eat fajitas. I love fajitas. I love They're delicious. But, exactly. <laughs> but it took me a while. And it took, of course, I would just sometimes travel an hour away to the one 
Argentine bakery where I could get something remotely similar to what we had at home. Of course, I have my mate. I have my mate next to yes, me, which do. is our thing that we, we, I talk about in Furia. I mean, every Argentine has our mate next to them all the time. So that was hard. Also, public transportation. Rosario is a huge city. And from a very early age, I was very independent. From the time I was like 11 years old, I would just take the bus and go anywhere I wanted with my mom's. My mom was very protective, but I had that independence that even as a college student, I didn't have here. Because here out west, if you don't drive, you're stuck. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's nowhere to get to places. You can't get to places. So that was hard. And another thing that was hard was that when I got, you know, out of the airport, I became a person of color in the U.S. Because in Argentina, yes, in Argentina, we don't we don't call ourselves people of color. So it was very a very different. Like it was an adjustment to my own identity to come to terms with the fact that for the majority of the people here, I was a person of color. So when I became part of, you know, we need diverse books or um, the BIPOC, Black, Indigenous, and people of color authors and networks, my friends in Argentina would be like, why are you calling yourself a person of color? <laughs> so those are things that that made me think a lot about my identity because like Camila, my family comes from all over the world. Yeah. Shamile Sayed, which is my maiden name, is an Arabic name because my grandfather was Syrio-Lebanese and uh, and he also had a family branch uh, from Palestine. But I had a great-grandmother from Yugoslavia whom I got to meet in life and and from Italy, like pretty much every other Argentine. And I, of course, have indigenous ancestry. But with all of the issues that we have in Argentina, I was still always 100% Argentine. So when I came to the U.S. and people would find out my name, they would be like, oh, so do you identify as Arabic? I was like, no, <laughs> I'm Latina. <laughs> so those are all things that made me think a lot about my identity. And even though I never set out to write a book to preach a message or anything, identity, home, belonging, your ancestry, your uh, family culture, those are themes that I carry with me through all of my books, even if I'm writing a picture book, if I'm writing about horses, if I'm writing a furia, or my adult books even, I see my experience as an as an Argentine American now uh, is very different from my husband, who's from Puerto Rico, but he's a white man, and he doesn't have an accent in either English or Spanish, so his experience is very different from mine. And my our children is even more different because they were born in this country, but they still, you know, like they have to navigate all these issues of where they belong, where they're from who they are. So I'm always fascinated by the life in the middle, what it means to be straddling the world of two languages, two cultures. Here in Utah, we live in a very religious community that we we don't share that faith. So, you know, we're in, in that other margin as well. So I'm always thinking about those topics. Listeners, please excuse this interruption. We want to tell you about our masterclass, Down With The Reading Quiz, because it is getting itself a nice little facelift. I have always been someone that needed the confidence and someone to tell me that what I was doing was okay. And that's what this masterclass is all about. We are here to build your confidence and give you some fresh ideas when it comes to formative assessment, a pretty tricky area in all of the things that we need to know how to do. Absolutely. Like if I think back to my time as a very beginning teacher or even in my credential program, well, the most important pieces of the craft that a teacher can hone along the way is being able to design, administer, and then analyze formative assessment as a really, really rich learning tool. And that is just not something that we all get the experience in developing those sorts of strategies. And so we have created here at Brave New Teaching our signature masterclass. We call it Down with the Reading Quiz, Formative Assessments for a New Generation. I think that's the full name that we called it. And we have run this masterclass a few different times, and we have decided to go back and revamp and come back with the same types of strategies, but with more, basically just more. 
Experience is the key word. Marie and I have combined our over 25 years of experience, mostly in failure, and we retooled that into what to do successfully and how to start successfully from the very beginning. Once you've listened to this masterclass, you will be able to implement each of our three different formative assessment types right away in your classroom, confidently and moving forward, knowing that you're not going to play gotcha anymore with quizzes. The quizzes and reading assessments in general are going to be designed for you to learn information about students and make decisions about your planning moving forward. Like really, really, these are actually going to help you do that, not in a mythological way, not in a you have to read six hours of a PD book to get there. You're going to listen to our 45-minute masterclass and be good to go. Absolutely. And in fact, we know that while the lion's share of our listeners are definitely English language arts teachers, not all of you are, and not all of you are secondary teachers. And these assessment keys, as we call them in Down With The Reading Quiz, are applicable to just about every single content area. And they can be differentiated between grade levels and skill levels. And it really does work out. And if you would like to attend this masterclass, you can attend anytime. We do have live opportunities here and there. But if you head to the show notes for this episode or to curriculumrehab.com slash masterclass, you can get signed up for the first available or you can just take a look at the recording right now. Join us in our mission to get rid of the gotcha style quizzes. No more multiple choice. We're all about making informed decisions in our teaching and doing what's best for our students. Let's take that dirty word data and actually make it work for you by creating and administering and analyzing formative assessments that really are one of the most important tools for learning in your classroom. That again is curriculumrehab.com slash masterclass or just pop down to the show notes for this episode. We'll see you over there. Well, and you can hear it in in the story, and and I'm certain in, in the more things that I need to read of yours, and I, and I think what strikes me so much, and what I think you know, in this series, we're talking a lot about books that belong in our classroom libraries, and I think about what you've just described is a story that's actually way more common than it used to be because people like you are writing it down. They're sharing it. Stories of protagonists like in Furia, I think is going to, and the more we can get these into our classroom libraries, what a comfort it is to so many of our students who are straddling many, many, many different lines, be it cultural, linguistic, whatever that might be, that maybe that's, that's not what needs to isolate anymore. I feel like that's, you know, we, we're there are, uh, celebrating our multiple identities, right? We contain multitudes is such, such a, it's, it's changing, right? I think that that used to be something very odd, but the more like even I, I'm in my thirties and I feel like I'm seeing that shift um, as, as I get older. Do you feel that way as well? I, I think so too, because we, we tend to like to label things and separate them in little bins, but there are some things that don't belong in just the one bin. So last year, I remodeled my home library and my husband said, let's do it by color. Let's organize our books by color. But there are some books that, ha- that don't really fit in one color scheme. Where do you put them? I think that's how we all human yes. beings, how we are all the same in our differences. We can't really label us. <laughs> no. And and I think that that's just one more reason that, you know, embracing young adult literature and embracing stories like this in our curriculum is only going to help our students who are pretty distracted by other things. <laughs> I mean, I'm, you have children, so I know you yeah. know the struggle is real. Reading is not the first priority once no. you kind of like cross over into the middle school age, even late elementary. Yes. It's it's important to have real stories and not, you know, I think parents think, oh, YA, it's just entertainment. And, and I was like, oh, man, w- I, you're going to get a lot of people fighting you on that because it's the real stories of real people inside these beautifully packaged YA I agree. Even if it's a fantasy novel and you're like, oh, it's, you know, in a secondary world in this make-believe language, but the essence of the story is so rooted in the human experience. So that I love YA because it talks about these issues of finding ourselves as human beings and our place in the world. And 
with the excitement of, of youth, you know, I remember what it was like to be 19 and coming to a different country and, you know, not being scared at all because this had been a dream all my life. And I love to see that experience in YA books. So, okay, so let's, let's talk about that and your writing journey. Where did this writing journey for you begin and what kind of keeps you going? Uh, well, my writing journey started when I learned how to read. I was a very precocious reader. I think it's because my mom, I'm the oldest of four, but we were all very close in age. And my mom was super young when she had us. And uh, we didn't have, you know, like in the olden days, we didn't have a thousand TV channels. We didn't have Netflix on our phones. (laughs) (laughs) So she gave me books to keep myself entertained. And even when I didn't know how to read, I would copy down the letters, you know, from the books. And then eventually I started reading. And then I went through the, the very small book collection we had at home. And when I, and I would tell them to my siblings and then there were no more fresh stories and I would make up my own. And, you know, my siblings would put up with, with, with me telling <laughs> stories for so long until nobody wanted to listen to them anymore. So I started writing them down. However, when it came time to go to college and choose the major, you know, it's a very sad fact that I see in a lot of immigrant families and Latino families, especially because I pay more, more attention, is that I didn't feel like I could go into the arts because I was, I'm the first high school graduate of my family and even college graduate. I had to do, it, for me to go to college was a, such a big sacrifice for my family. And it was like a community endeavor. And I I studied economics, which I loved because it's more like the reason behind the numbers. And also because Argentina always has such a convoluted financial situation. I went to the first time I was going on. But my first love was always books. So when after I had worked in the professional, you know, sphere for a long time, um, I decided to go back to my first love. In the meantime, I had still been involved with language and writing because I worked as a translator and interpreter for a long, long time. Um, at that time of our life with my husband, we traveled through the States as he had to move for work. And I was always a translator and interpreter at the library or the hospital. And I love stories listening to people and then going to the library and um, reading kids books to my to my own children so when my fourth baby was born in 2006 I said I think I can do this I think I can write my own and pursue publication and I had never taken former formal lessons on how to be a writer but I knew story instinctively because I've been consuming them all my life And so I started writing. I found out pretty soon that I didn't really know how to put on paper what I had in my mind. So I joined a critique group. That is, I got together with five other people from my area who were my age or a little older, and we all wanted to become writers. So we'd get together once a month and exchange pages and critique each other. So help each other out. And then I would go to conferences. And eventually I wanted to pursue a master in fine arts and I went to the Vermont College of Fine Arts. While I was there in my first semester, I had said I was going to pause my quest to find a literary agent so that I could concentrate on, on my education. And of course, that's when I, when it happened, I had my first offer from an agent. Of course, of course. (laughs) But as, and as soon, soon after I graduated, Actually, for my graduation, I read a poem that I had written for my children that was called Where Are You From? And it hadn't been part of any of the packets that I had turned in for my advisors, but I read it at graduation. And immediately people came over to me saying, you have to send this to your agent. But I kept thinking, I'm not a picture book writer. This is just a poem. So I sent it to my agent and that book sold right away. And it it became my first book, Where Are You From? Which is a picture book. I think I have it. Oh, here it is. Oh, how wonderful. And and one thing I had in all those years, I had accumulated and worked on so many stories 
Uh, Furia was actually the first story that I started writing with the desire to be a published author. And it went through a lot of iterations and changes and even title changes. Originally, it used to be called Southern Cross because, because it's the constellation you see from the Southern Hemisphere. And until finally, it found its right place in 2018 with Algonquinian readers. But before then, in 2006, if somebody would tell me that it would take 12 years for that book to fi- find the home, maybe I would have given up. <laughs> yeah. and, but back then, the market was really not ready for that kind of story. When I sent it out to agents, I would be told, oh, the, the, I like the story and the writing is beautiful, but I don't know where it would be placed on a shelf. And the title in Spanish, what are you talking about? Nobody's going to want to read it. And now look at, at if you look at the catalog of books by Latine authors coming out. There's so, so many with bilingual titles. The, the Las Cuentista won the Newbery Award last year. I mean, the, 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 the world has changed. And, and that's when perseverance and just stubbornness, like Amila says. Yes. This point. <laughs> and I'm so thankful for that. I'm I, speaking of which I, I one I, one book that I, it completely changed. I don't not didn't change my life, but it, it, it opened up such a huge space in my heart that I finished last year. I read Javier Zamora's Solito, his memoir. Oh my gosh. Yes, I got chills when you mentioned oh my it. Word. Every single chapter. And like, and I, I mean, I was kind of on a memoir like junkie hunt last year. And when I yes. finally got my hands on it. I mean, that is a book I will never, ever, ever forget. And I'm just so thrilled. Well, I mean, Latino authors have got to break, are, are, not, don't have got to, but they are breaking through these yes. massive barriers and telling stories that for a long time have been said to be not of interest or something exactly. that, I mean, this story of his, his immigration, his migration is just, I mean, heart-wrenching, raw, yes. and something people don't understand. Um but the more stories are told, the more we have, especially in front of our young people, I think the better the world will be for the future. And I'm so thankful for authors like you and, and everybody. I mean, it's so wonderful. I love that you mentioned Solito because earlier we were talking about how many books tackle the same things from different point of views. So from a YA point of view, there's We're Not From Here by Jenny Sanchez mm-hmm. Torres, love who it. is. Kind of the YA version, let's say, of Solito, the, about three teens coming th- from Central America on their own. And f- from a picture book perspective, we have Little Star by Shushi Morales yes. that shows a little deer crossing the desert mm-hmm. and becoming separated from his mom. And that's a, a, a you know, like a, a symbolism of, of the many children that cross on their own. So... Books are a way in which we can introduce these topics, not only, you know, like difficult stories, but maybe conversations that as parents and adults, we don't know how to, how to tackle with young people, but books offer the perfect medium for conversation. They do. And we talk a lot in this podcast about how uncomfortable our generation, you know, I, I'm speaking from a, a white female in my 30s. My generation is very uncomfortable with the gray area. I, I think we want to wrestle with the gray area very much because our parents, and the people who came before us were very comfortable in black and white. You know, things were yes or no, they were good or bad. They were Republican mm-hmm. or Democrat. They were right. They were one or the other. And I think we really want to wrestle in the gray, but it stresses us out because we're, I think a lot of us are breaking that cycle, but don't know how to do it. And, and like you said, I think having a baby deer, having, you know, stories to help humanize conversations about humans when before, yeah. you know, their talking points or their statistics, it's just, it's so important to have these on our shelves, have these yeah. as options for our students. Exactly. Yes, so. I agree. Can I take you back? I, I did want to touch back. You had mentioned, um, well, first of all, when you read the first page, and then you mentioned it a little bit when you were talking about your family. I know also, not only did we have fajitas before I went to Argentina, but <laughs> I had no idea what a land of a melting pot. I, I was like, oh, I thought that the uh, United States was the only place where people melted. <laughs> 
Uh Okay, so not only is Argentina a melting pot, but also, as so many other Latino cultures, is one that is got the the fabric of family is so interwoven in the good and the frustrating, though, you know, the world of tradition and closeness, but also breaking cycles. And that is center stage in Furia. Could you, I mean, I'm not going to put you on the spot spot, but is there a reason why you wanted that part of culture to be also part of the story that you were telling? Yes, because there's really no separating the character from the place where she grew up. I, you know, sometimes when I, when I teach uh, students or other writers about setting Sometimes we pretend that we can just take this character and create the character and plant it in any situation. And maybe with some stories that are plot-driven, you can do that, like the James Bond stories, he travels through the world. But we're all a product of our environment and our family. Even if we try to break with the mold in which we were made, that mold still conditions our life experience. So with Camila, of course, uh, it would be a very different story if she was a girl born in the U.S. Are there girls who are Latina who cannot play football? Yes. But here, the the structure for a girl soccer player is much more um, favorable than for a girl in Latin America uh, or, or specifically in Rosario that you have the system, but it's not, but girls are not allowed. Everything is there. There's soccer fields in every corner. But when I was growing up, we were not even allowed to, you know, be a football commentator. And here in the U.S., the women's team have won multiple world championships and they played in schools. And in fact, when I moved here, I kept thinking, oh, it's like it's a sport more for women than for men here in the U.S. And so. The environment and um, really plays a big part on who Camila is and the obstacles that she has to break through. Um, some of the of the of the challenges in her life, breaking this generational trauma of women who have been told what to do, that who couldn't pursue their dreams. You know that is a wheel that she wants to get out of. I put it in her life because that's the reality that I saw in many in many families. And this is not something that me being super vulnerable, because I do mention it in the author's note, in my family, was my mom breaking that cycle. And and even in, in the way that she knew how, try to give my sister and me a different future, a different experience from what she had. That doesn't mean that that culture of misogyny or violence at home or even violence in society, they're mentioned in Furia and in Rosario, but they're not a monopoly, sadly, of only Latin America or Latino families. I live in a very Caucasian community, like I said, very religious, and we have terrible cases of domestic violence still. But uh, I wanted to show what I knew. One of the rules of writing that you learn early on is write what you know. It doesn't mean that you can't learn new things to talk about or write about. But all my life, I, these are things that I've been curious about. And I and I know these topics. I did a lot of research on them. And so I thought it was very important because, again, there are some things that we don't like to deal with because they are painful or uncomfortable, but we have to look them in the face if we want to get rid of them. We're never going to get rid of violence against women or, you know, like, uh, like I said, there, uh, misogyny is not a monopoly of Latin America. Here in the U.S., Latina women make 60 cents to a dollar compared to white men. And we are in the, in the freest, most, you know, a prosperous country in the world. So these are topics that we still deal with in a day-to-day basis. It's just that in Furia, um, you know, placing Camila in Rosario was very intentional because of what football means for Argentines and people from Rosario in particular. And also, I hadn't been back in Argentina for a long time when I started writing Furia. It had been about seven years and I was homesick. 
So writing was a, a way for me to make my own virtual Rosario and go visit it when my kids were taking their nap or sleeping at night. That's when I would write um, when they were little. And, and that was my way to go back to Rosario when I couldn't go uh, for real. <laughs> it is so inspiring that you started all of this after baby number four. That is just, <laughs> I know there are teachers listening right now who are like, wow. Like I know Maria can't be here today and she would be just beside herself right now. This is one of her life dreams. And it's, it's scary to think, you know, that, okay, I've just done all this kid stuff. Can I still do something? (laughs) So I think it's amazing. (laughs) I think having children, you know, like I love discovering the world anew from their eyes. When, when I came to the U S of course, my, the canon of books that I grew up with was very different from the one you grew up with. I didn't have, you know, a Wild Things or Junie B. Jones. Uh, my books were different. And so I learned nursery rhymes with my children and I learned, you know, to discover all these classics with them. Yeah. At the same time, I, in discovering the world I knew, I found out that I had this dream in me and I wanted in a way to show my children, especially my daughters, that life doesn't end when you become a parent or when you, you know, when you're home, you can still be a lifelong learner and that the library is a magical place that you can find anything you need <laughs> to be happy. <laughs> anything, anything you need. That is my absolute goal too. I know that there are fellow library nerds. I actually just, <laughs> I, I, just I don't know if I've told the podcast this yet, but I just got my library card back. We had checked out a bunch of books before COVID that I lost all of them. Oh no! <laughs> My children were two and three and one and two during, oh my gosh, it was just a nightmare. And I just finally went back to the library and I said, I'm so sorry. Can I just pay for them? Because (laughs) I'm never going to find them. Yes, I know how that goes. They were so nice. I'm like, I need to come back to the library. This is not, this is not working out for me. (laughs) It's not even life without a library. (laughs) um, I want to just talk a little bit more about Furia. And I know I don't want to take up all your time. I could talk to you forever, but I, you know, I kind of wanted to circle back to Camila and just, again, like I think teachers here know, but if teachers are sharing this with admin, I want to make sure admin hear this too, is the complexity that you have in her character. You know, what what are some of the things that you were hoping she would carry as a character in term in terms of you know the context right like i think about her moments where she's thinking about the disappearing girls i think about her breaking cycles i think about her soccer i think about her you know struggle with femininity as both an athlete and a girl who really likes cute guys um yes. <laughs> you know what were what were you thinking about when you were developing her aside from just I need a I need a star character. What else did you want to bring to the table with Camila? Well, um, first of all, you know, uh, and an, another advice that uh, writers get is to give your character difficult obstacles so that you they sure can did grow. That. <laughs> I sure did that. But sometimes we think of as uh, uh, we think obstacles can only be negative things, and of course, she does have many negative obstacles. Like, you know, she doesn't have money. Uh, like nobody in her environment because of the situation in the whole country. Um, She, you know, again, the violence against women in the streets, she has to be careful where she goes. She's not free to move in that world as her brother is because she could be in danger just walking from, you know, home to the soccer pitch where she plays with her teams at school. She has, to be, she goes to an all-girl school, and that was also a model after my own experience. With which a lot of people think, you know, uh, that would stunt your growth as a girl. But I think that was one of the greatest gifts my parents could give me was my education in an all-girl school because I was never told girls were bad at math. We never. just compete against each other, and I am still best friends. With with my with the girls from school that I started when I was in third grade all the way all the way to twelfth, and so I gave her all those things. And something else that was an obstacle was the love of the boy that she has liked and loved all her life, which was a good love, and he's a good guy. But that love arrived at the worst time that it could come because that's exactly when she had an opportunity 
to pursue her own passion for football. And so sometimes I wanted to show, and also in her family, she mentions that love had been used as a weapon that people that show love were considered, that was considered their weakness. So their love could be used against them. And it was because when her dad found out that she and this boy had something that was all about it because of the boy's social status and what it would mean for the family. And at the same time, you know, sometimes Camila realized that love can also be healing and beautiful, but she had to decide if it was the right decision to go with her heart for the boys that she liked or go with her heart for the love to herself and the promises she'd made herself. And so, you know, that that's a choice that, again, I see women we have to make all the time. Even as a mom, I have a deadline. My kid has a fever. Of course, my kid's more important. <laughs> but we have to juggle those things constantly. And she's a real person. I wanted Camila to be a real person more than a character. And so that's why, you know, she's not perfect. She makes mistakes. She's, But she realizes at the same time that with all her shortcomings she is an example for the girls who look up to her like the little kids that she teaches English to and even without wanting to sometimes I wanted to show that without wanting to sometimes we become a role model and that we have a responsibility whether we like it or not yes I Shamile I want to break an exclusive story here and I want to know about your next YA is there another YA coming from you Yes. Exclusive. Everyone needs to hear, listen, hear about it. I don't know when, but I've been working on my YA with my same editors. Yay! And it's also set in Argentina. But we go back in time. It's set in Rosario. We go back in time to the end of the 70s, which, as you may know, was a very difficult time in Argentina because that was the height of the dictatorship and uh, all that it meant. And so it's about two brothers who are in a rock band during a time when the arts and books and musicians were in danger because uh, from the government just for following, you know, their passions. So I've, we've been working on it for a couple of years now. So hopefully we'll be able to usher it out in the world. world. But I, I have things coming out all the time. I have... Two middle grades coming out this year. My fourth Exciting. book in the Horse Country series. Yes. Um, and my second anthology, this one is a middle grade and it's uh, co-edited with Aida Salazar. It's called Calling the Moon and it's a collection of period stories. So puberty. Oh and uh, I actually wrote my MFA thesis on the lack of representation of puberty in middle grade fiction. And from that uh, research came the idea uh, for this anthology that comes out in in March. And then my second adult romance called Love of My Lives, about a woman looking for her soulmate that she only remembers from dreams. Oh, so, my goodness. You no, know, like in appearance, they're all so over the whole place. But in its essence, it's all people trying to Find, be true to themselves, follow their own journeys, and finding home. <laughs> That's all of my books. <laughs> my and I, okay, so, and then I think our third book, we're gonna, so my favorite places I visited when I was there, um, I think by far and away, well, I lived in Buenos Aires for a long time, but we, on our spring break trip, talk about transportation, we hopped on a bus and we visited almost the entire country. It, yes. was, it was unbelievable. You can't do that here. Not even on a train no. can you do that here. No. Um, we went up to Iguazu for, we camped at Iguazu. Like talk about a college trip. We're, yeah, there's no way adult Amanda would be camping uh, <laughs> at Iguazu. Um, let's, let's take, let's take some characters uh, to Iguazu and I'm sure there could be a great romance there. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. We went to Mendoza. We did, we kept going. We went all the way down to, uh, oh my gosh, where did we go? Bariloche. Nice. Uh, and then we came back, we came back around, but my greatest regret was not making it down to Tierra del Fuego. We didn't make oh. it. 
I wanted to, a group went, but I didn't, I was not appropriately prepared with that kind of attire. I didn't have anything for cold weather. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Some people are so surprised where right next to Antarctica, it does get cold. (laughs) I I, like a whole group. I'm like, how are you going to, we came here in the Argentine summer. I didn't come here with winter gear. (laughs) So. I was there like July through December, July through January. And I was like, I I can't, there's no way. But are you planning to go visit home anytime soon? I have to go. I made a promise that if we won the World Cup, I'd go back this year. I was there in uh, December of 2019 when I was working on the final touches of Furia. And that was right before the pandemic. But uh, I'm I'm just super homesick every day. I'm like I just and even more so during the World Cup. I kept telling I'm my sure. husband I want to dive inside my screen and be home. I'm so homesick. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, I hope you get back there very yes. very soon. <laughs> We are so thankful to have had you here today. I seriously, I we can't wait to wait to read more. We can't wait to get more books in students' hands. And you being here today just means so much to us. Shamile, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for all you do. Thank you, readers. And I hope I get to see you soon. Ah, yes, let's do that. Let's let's find somewhere. Do you find do you have a place for Cafe con Leche and Alfajores in Utah? Uh, not really, but I do have people that will make them, you know, like from home and then okay. that we can order from. So I've been, actually been going through my stash of alfajores that I got for Christmas <laughs> every day. <laughs> was the first thing I was looking to find, and I'm in Chicago, like there has to be a community and I still can't really find it around here, but oh. <laughs> next time I'm out West, I'm going to call you and I'm going to find you and your person and we're going to have, we're going to have a little bakery treat. Absolutely. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you so much. And we'll hopefully we'll be talking again on the podcast someday with your next book. Yes. Thank you. I know I did not overpromise, right? Shamile is just as wonderful as I know I hyped her up to be in the intro. I hope that you loved this conversation and that you are so excited for more to come. Make sure that you head to today's show notes to get links and connections to all the things that we talked about in the episode. There were so many things we brought up and we took notes. So we have all of those notes in the show notes. We have links in the show notes to everything that we talked about. And most importantly, we hope that you jump over and join us in Camp BNT. It is a closed private Facebook group where we are discussing, debriefing, brainstorming, and planning all of our ideas for next year based on these conversations in the podcast. It's so easy to join. Head to bravenewteaching.com slash camp and you can hop into Camp BNT, join the conversation, get some ideas, meet some other campers who are there, and you never know what kind of friendships might come of this and how many wonderful ideas that you just might stumble across by being in conversation with other wonderful, like-minded educators. So come join us for Camp BNT, come have a conversation with some other ones, and you never know, you never know who might stop by live in the Facebook group for a little extra chit chat. But everything is staying there in Facebook. And it's just for the summer. If you're joining us at some point after the summer of 2023, still head to the show notes because we're going to have lots of other things for you there. Uh, once camp is over, we'll have things archived and all kinds of special things still waiting for you. And once again, we thank you for listening to the podcast and leave us a review. Let us know what you thought of this interview. Let us know what you want to see more of, and we will be happy to oblige. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much to Shamile and her team for all the coordination, all of your support, all of your coordination with everything. It just was wonderful working with you. Shamila, you are an incredible, incredible woman, a hero, and an author that I cannot wait to put in front of students when I get back into the classroom. Thank you for your great work, and we cannot wait to see what comes from you next. Thanks again for listening to Brave New Teaching. We'd love to keep the conversation going over on Instagram. And while you're there, check out the links in our bio for the most up-to-date events going on in the Brave New Teaching community. Thanks for being here and have a great week at school. 